Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And oftentimes before I bring on my guest, I do like to share a little inspirational moment or something that just really caught my attention. And I often refer to this little book that that I have called Live Like You Were Dying. And it was written by Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman. And there's lots of good little thoughts and quotes in there. And the one I grabbed today, I grabbed for a very specific reason. And I think it's because my guest today kind of fits in this in this realm. So the quote is, if you want to hunt tigers, you have to go where the tigers are. Now, personally, I don't like the idea of hunting tigers unless you're going to shoot them with a camera. I think they're very beautiful animals and I am not proposing, <laughs> I'm not proposing that we go out and hunt tigers. But what that really refers to is it's really hard to solve a problem if you don't have a full understanding you know, of that problem. And sometimes you have to just get really entrenched with it. And so our guest today is exactly that. He is doing everything he can by learning everything he can about how to help us solve this really ugly, nasty problem that we have, and it's called cancer. So our guest is Dr. Andrew Isaacson. He is the owner of Northwest Family Chiropractic in Salem, Oregon. In 2009, he graduated with his Bachelor of Science and Doctor of Chiropractic degrees concurrently, which is very impressive, from Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa. Dr. Isaacson has been avid about learning about cancer, particularly new cancer treatments and cancer prevention. Welcome, Dr. Isaacson. I'm so glad to have you on my show today. Thank you, Becky. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know, you you kind of you called in a, a few weeks ago when we had a conversation with Baron Robinson and really um, gave so much good information. I know I know it was just kind of a a call in, but you had so much wonderful information. If anyone wants to go back and listen to that episode, if you didn't hear it, I don't remember which week it was, but if you search for Baron Robinson, uh, that episode will come up. And I think you were toward the beginning when you called in, but you you contributed so much that I actually asked you back <laughs> to do a whole segment with you because I just I just think you have a lot more to share. So um, I just, that's why you're here today. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. I know you're very busy. And I know you're really busy because I heard about your family. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So why don't we start by letting you tell us a little bit about yourself and about this amazing family of eight children that you have. Sure. So my wife and I have been married for over 17 years. Um, we're hunting down that 18 real quick and hope to have our 20-year anniversary really soon in a couple of years. Um, when we first got married, we tried to have kids because that was important to us and uh, struggled and couldn't. For several years, so we ended up adopting. Uh, we started with the foster care system and adopted a sibling group of four children. Oh my gosh, and I didn't know they were all siblings. That's so cool. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So at the time that we adopted them, um, when they were first placed in our care, we had a, a newborn who was three days old. We had his sister who was 18 months, uh, the other sister who was uh, about 26 months old, and then the oldest brother was three years old. So we had four kids oh under the age of four. Oh. All at once. All it's not sudden. like you 
not like you just sort of grew into it. You had them. I had five kids, but I got mine one at a time. So, wow, <laughs> four at once. Yeah, we under- were pushed into three. the deep end, so to say. <laughs> Talk about hunting tigers, huh? <laughs> Jeez, yeah. That's, well, um, okay. To, so, uh, so then what happened? <laughs> well, as soon as we agreed to adopt them, uh, we ended up getting pregnant. And so our first biological child was born uh, nine months after that, so shortly after the adoptions were finalized when we had our first uh, biological child. You know, and I hear that a lot, had... that, you know, when, once you adopt, then some, something happens. I don't know if, you, if it's a relaxation thing or a stop worrying and stressing thing, but somehow, sometimes you just sort of miraculously, you know, conceive. It's pretty, pretty amazing, if you ask me. So you had one I'm just a, a few months after. That's uh, cool. I'm a big proponent that it's a God thing. Um, yeah, I believe that yeah, if we had had our own children first, um, that we wouldn't have adopted. And so God knew these children needed these parents, needed us, and so he made sure that we adopted before he was going to bless us with uh, biological children as well. So for me personally, it's, it's a God thing. Um, he wanted these kids to be in our home. You know, I believe that with my whole heart. So thank you for being willing to share that. That's, that's amazing. So you had four more kids. Right, and so, the yeah. last two were twins? We had uh, four more. The last two are twins. <laughs> uh, they were just born nine months ago, last April. Um, oh, my And gosh. they are just crawling. They've been crawling since Christmas time, and they're starting to pull themselves up and trying to take steps with their feet. So we're just a, a couple of weeks away from having to lock everything in the house tight as drums. <laughs> so how do you and your wife sleep? I mean, this is a house full uh, of very people. Well. and. What's the oldest, how old is the oldest one now? So the oldest one is now 18, um, 18. and he's okay. moved out. He's working on trying to find his way in the world. Uh, then okay. we've got two 16-year-olds. The older of the two 16-year-olds will be 17 here in a couple of weeks. Um, and then a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and then a 4-year-old and two 9-month-olds. So oh, man. Yeah, we don't sleep a lot at night. Uh, <laughs> we've... <laughs> What we've done for the twins that keep our sanity is we've divided and conquered. She keeps one of the twins in the master with her, and I take one of the twins into the spare bedroom. Um, and that way, we're only awake for one child instead of two children. Oh, and my so gosh. Yeah, is, that's is slightly that's preserved doing that. And then you work full-time. Does your wife work outside the house, or has she decided that being home is plenty? Because I'm going to guess it is. It truly is. She works so hard at home. I think she works harder than I do yeah. uh, in all my stuff combined. So, oh, That's such an amazing story. And good for you for just, you know, adopting four siblings all at once like that. And, and you're right. It is a God thing because they did need you. And um, I'm very, I'm, I'm even more impressed now than I was the day you called in and, and added your, your comments to our very important conversation that day. So, Thank you. Um, I, I'm blown away. So also, on top of all of that, you are also a cancer survivor. I am. I had a liposarcoma uh, diagnosed in 2013 and uh, have been free and clear of it ever since, thankfully. Can you, can you tell, us, tell us what that is? What is liposarcoma? So a sarcoma, in general, is a fairly aggressive tumor uh, that has the ability to metastasize, but typically doesn't in early stage. It usually waits until uh, stage three or four before it starts to metastasize. Um, But it's fairly aggressive. They're fairly fast-growing tumors. 
Mine was lipo. Lipo means fat, so it's a fatty-based tumor. Uh, there are also osteosarcomas, which are bone-based, and myosarcomas, which are muscle-based. So depending on what that first part of the sarcoma word is, tells you okay. what type it was. So mine was a fatty-based one. Okay. And it happened to be in my left gluteal maximus muscle. So oh, my. who knows where that is. Yes. Um, <laughs> I quite literally had a pain in the rear. Um, <laughs> Sorry, don't mean to laugh, but I kind of do. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It, it started uh, very small. It was about half the size of a marble, and it was deep in, and I thought it was just a little muscle knot, and it had been there for many years. And then in 2013, late in the spring of 2013, it started to grow. And in a matter of about five to six months, it went from about half the size of a marble, so about the size of a pea, I guess, up to um, a little bit larger than like a mandarin orange, one of those small uh, wow. mandarin oranges. And so we, we got it checked, had the MRI, had a biopsy done, sure enough, liposarcoma, and so we went in for surgery in December of 2013, um, had it surgically excised, and then ever since then been doing follow-ups to make sure that there's been no recurrence of it. Well, that's good. So, so far you're, you're clean and nothing else has surfaced, I, I presume? So far, so good. Fingers crossed. Good. Knock on wood. Good. Prayers going up. So how, how did that whole thing when you were going through all that? How did that impact your family? You know, it was an interesting thing. Me personally, um, I never felt any concern or worry or stress over the whole situation. Um, I think God just blessed me with peace in my heart to know that this wasn't going to be a huge life changer for me. It was just something I needed to take care of and keep going. Um, my wife, on the other hand, uh, she's a worrier, and she worried quite a bit about it. Um, we spent a lot of time in prayer together and, and individually. Um, we had a lot of help from family and friends uh, that really helped out, stepped up and helped with the kids and helped with her. Um, but she fretted about it quite a bit. Thankfully, our mm-hmm. kids were fairly young and didn't really understand, um, so we didn't tell them much because I, I really felt like it wasn't going to be uh, a huge deal for us, and thankfully it wasn't. Um, but it definitely was something that brought a lot of uh, anxiety to my wife. Uh, looking back now, she's obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and she realizes it wasn't as big a deal as as her brain made it out to be. Um, but at the time, it was very worrisome for her. Yeah, I'll bet it was. Um, you know, I'm a worrier too, so I totally get that. I wish I I wish I wasn't. You know, I'm a Christian too, and I know I'm supposed to have put all my faith in God and not worry about things. But there's still that little nagging voice sometimes that just says, what if, you know, what if, well, what if it yeah. isn't, you know, and that's the part I forget is, you know, what, what if it isn't? And so I, I really appreciate what you're saying. And I do understand your wife completely, <laughs> you know, I really, especially with all these small kids and, you know, her what ifs can get pretty big, I'm pretty sure. So um, now yeah. do you have a, you have a family history too, right? In, of some kind of cancer, your dad, your yeah. dad had cancer, right? Not my dad. It was my my grandfather, my maternal Your grandfather. grandfather. Okay. Yep. Okay. He had had prostate cancer, and they had caught it and treated it, and thought they had it under control. Uh, of course, this was back in the '90s, so mm-hmm. it was you know quite a while before, and and treatments weren't quite up to what they are now. So they had caught it, they had treated it, they thought they had it in remission. Uh, they weren't doing enough screenings and to make sure it hadn't recurred, and it did recur. Um, and when it recurred, it, it came back pretty aggressively. And it metastasized to his bones uh, very mm. rapidly. And when they figured it out, it, it was already too late. He was already at stage four 
bone cancer um, and passed away from that after just a few oh. short months of battling with it. I'm sorry that, you know, I hate cancer. I'm, I'm stage four myself right now and I'm really, mm-hmm. but things are going well. I haven't really done much of an update, but my, my last two scans have come back with showing that the tumors are, are somewhere between stable and, and smaller, <laughs> which, which is good. Wonderful. Um, but you know, it's, it's still a very scary thing. And then to lose a, a loved one, um, I just, I hate this disease. It's just, it's not fun. And, and it's because of all of this this disease, you are now doing something with your life that's that's different. And I kind of shared that a little bit in your intro. So why don't you tell us what is it that you're doing now? And and I'm going to guess that this probably had a lot to do with your your family history and with your own personal experience. So ever since um, my grandfather had the bone cancer, I've always I haven't actively really searched out cancer stuff, but anytime I see anything medically related, I've just devoured it. I read as much as I can. Um, I get a lot of emails from uh, other individuals in the healthcare community about health-related stuff, particularly cancer things, and it's often um, research. It's from peer-reviewed journals, and so I do a lot of reading of that. And then when I had my own cancer, that kind of really took it to the next level. And so I, I do what I can as often as I can to pay attention to the things that are coming out, the research that's being done, um, some of the more promising things, some of the things that have failed, uh, just to kind of keep abreast of what's going on and to, to look to the future. Uh, our current treatment for cancer, uh, it does work for some individuals. It doesn't work for some. Uh, but I really have felt like for a long time that there is something better out there and we just need to find it. And so I'm always kind of looking at what's the newest, latest, greatest, and not just reading the headlines, but actually delving into and reading the content of the articles and the research and seeing what sort of stuff is being done. Uh, It really intrigues me. That's wonderful. And we're going to get into that in the next segment, which will be just in a couple minutes. So I want to ask you a couple more quick questions. So you were a chiropractor in 2009, right? That's when you graduated. Okay. And then you had cancer. Your own cancer was in 2013. Did your practice change significantly prior to 2013? So from, you know, 2009 to 13, it was one thing and then it became something else or has it been kind of consistent? Talk to me about that. It stayed fairly, fairly the same, but my approach to patients and how I talk to them and the things that I talk to them about has changed. So I still have people coming in for the same things. They're still coming in because their low back hurts or because they're having mm-hmm. headaches or because they were in a car accident or whatever it is. Um, but as I'm talking to them, the conversation, I try to bring it around to healthy living and mm-hmm. you know history of cancer and things like that. And if I can, you know, I... A lot of people don't want to worry about cancer unless they have it. Yeah, so that's for sure. Bringing it up in their attention, you know, it's it's something that they it's it's uncomfortable. It's not something that they like. It's not appealing, and so they don't really want to talk about it unless it's directly affecting them. And so I try to broach that subject as best I can from through different avenues, and mostly focus on the, the healthy living and the. Uh, the avoidance of potential cancers first. And then if they do have an effect in their life, then I'm more than happy to sit down with them and talk in length and in depth about their particular situation and the things that are happening to them. Because so often they come to me and they say, well, my oncologist says this, but he doesn't really explain what this means. Or my PCP says this, but they don't really, I don't know what that means. And so I sit with them and I explain things and really help them understand what it is they're going through. 
um, even so much as, as pulling up their x-rays or their MRI and pointing things out and saying this is what they're talking about and clarifying it for them because doctor, doctors are, are so busy, they don't typically have the time, and oftentimes they, they don't explain things in a way that the patient can understand. And I think that's a travesty for the patient. They need to understand because the more we understand, the more at peace we can be with what's happening. Sure. So it's always been my goal is to educate as much as possible so that they have a better understanding of what's going on and they don't worry so much about it. Yeah, the uncertainty is, is can be devastating. It's, you know, I think in pretty much every walk of life, whatever, you know, it's that fear of the unknown. And when you don't understand something or you hear a word that's got, remember the first time I saw my very first um, report of my cancer tumor, I used the words invasive and um uh, what was the other word? I can't remember. But anyway, it was really, really scary words just hearing that. Well, I was stage three the first time out, and which is scary enough. But, you know, I still didn't know what it meant. I just knew what the word, the word was, didn't sound good. So understanding what those words really mean is, can be very helpful. So have you ever had to diagnose a, a cancer patient? And then we're going to go out to break. So I've had a couple of patients over the years. And I can't diagnose, I mean, I could diagnose the, the cancer, but generally I'm able to tell them, hey, there's something extra here. You need to see your primary care, and you need to have okay. them do this test. Um, okay, I had a okay. patient in particular. Do we, are we short on time? Uh, we finish that thought, and then we'll go out to break. Okay. I had a patient in particular who was having uh, mental problems. They weren't able to articulate their words very well, and they were having a hard time remembering things. And I knew there had been no injury. I knew there was nothing going on like concussion or anything like that. I knew there hadn't been a stroke. Um, and so I was very strongly able to encourage her to, and, and sent some notes directly to her doctor. Uh, a doctor didn't want to listen to me because he's just a chiropractor, but eventually acquiesced and did a, a scan of her head and found a glioblastoma in her brain. Oh, my goodness. We were able to catch that uh, just through an awful lot of pushing and nudging through her primary care. So, yeah, okay. a few times we have been able to catch those things. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. We are going to go on out to break, and we'll pick this up on the other side, so stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again. With the compassion of a cross and shield, and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We're talking with Dr. Andrew Isaacson about what is up and coming in cancer treatment and prevention. And we're just starting to have that conversation now. So welcome back to our show. Um, So Dr. Isaacson, I know that there's a lot of controversy about what cancer is, you know, what, so I'm going to ask you to take us through that. What, what is cancer? Sure. So cancer is an alteration of your own DNA. It's not something that comes from the outside, although it can, what is around us in our environment can influence uh, cancer development, but it's not like it's a, a disease that you catch from somebody else. It's not a bacteria that gets into your body. It's not a virus, although viruses can lead to it, and I'll explain that in a minute. But basically, it's an alteration in the DNA in your cells. So the DNA in our body is... It's a very tiny molecule. You can't see it with the naked eye. You have to look at it under a microscope, but it is a very, very large molecule, and it's something that contains massive amounts of data. If you were to take the human genome and print it onto just regular 8.5 by 11 standard office paper, it would take over 2 million sheets of paper to put the entire human code on paper, and that would stack up higher than the... Uh, um, Lady Liberty, I just, the Statue of Liberty. That's wow. actually a stack of paper taller than the Statue of Liberty to, to contain the human genome. And that's just from uh, one cell. And I think that every cell in our body has all that information in it. So if you take that DNA and you realize that that DNA, every time your body creates a new cell in order to replace an old and dying cell, it has to make a copy of it. Well, imagine taking a piece of paper and putting it on your copy machine, and you make a copy of that piece of paper. And the the copy you take out is never quite exactly like the original. There might be something on the drum that has the toner in it, and so it leaves a little black spot. There might be something on the scanner bed, dust or dirt or smudge or something, and that's going to transfer onto the new paper. So if you take that copy and you make another copy of it, and you take that copy and make another copy of it, and repeat that a several thousand times because cells in our body replicate thousands of times in our lifetime, by the time you get down to your, say, 500 or 600th copy of a copy of a copy, that paper no longer looks like the original did. It now has smudges and black spots and marks, and there might be parts of that paper that you can no longer read because there's too much interference. That's what happens in our DNA. Little errors here and there uh, get perpetrated to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, and eventually it gets to the point where that DNA cannot be read properly. 
What you know, a great of the time. visual. That's a great visual, picturing the copy machine. I mean, I've never, I've never, I, I mean, I knew that cells did this replication process, but I've never thought of it that way. So once you have a defective gene and then it replicates itself, it's going to continue with that, that defect. And then it still could even change more along the way. Is that, is that what yeah, I'm hearing? Exactly. Too? Okay. Exactly. Yep. And so most of the time when you get those errors, those uh, alterations in the DNA code, if it's bad enough of an alteration to change the way that the cell functions too drastically, most of the time it causes the new cell simply to die. It says, I don't have the right information, I can't do my job, and so that new cell dies. And then the old cell that made the copy says, well, I guess I'd better do it again, makes another copy, hopefully better than the last one, and then this one survives. So most uh-huh. of the time when those DNA replication errors happen, the new cell says, I can't handle this, and it dies. Wow. Not a big deal. Yeah. The problem occurs, though, when that copy is made. Every once in a while, the part of the DNA that tells that cell when and how often to replicate will get changed. Usually, the cells, most of the cells in our body replicate once every, well, Things that replicate rapidly, like our skin, our hair, our mucous membranes, they replicate about once every 10 to 20 days. Other cells like muscle tissue and liver cells, they replicate less frequently, once every couple of months. Um, But what happens is when they get an error in the little DNA code that tells that cell, I need you to replicate once a week, it changes it to once an hour, and now Mm -hmm. that cell starts replicating massively, and now we have cancer. That's where cancer comes from. It's a DNA alteration that alters the code telling that cell when and how often to, to, to replicate. And so it replicates too much, it starts replicating like crazy and creates that tumor and it grows very quickly. So, okay, I'm gonna, this is probably the billion dollar question and if you can answer this one, you'll become a multi-billionaire and take care of all those kids of yours. Um, <laughs> what causes the alteration the first time? Oh, gosh. And see, that varies drastically from one type of cancer to another. And even within one particular type of cancer, it changes drastically from one case to the next. So, and this is kind of getting into to the next part is what causes those alterations? Uh, is it environmental or is it genetic? Right. Well, we know it's, it's genetic and that is the DNA being altered. But what's causing the alteration? In some people, it's caused by environmental exposures. It can be caused by exposure to radiation. And radiation comes in many, many forms. Uh, It can come from, you know, we know that x-rays are radiation. We know that CTs are radiation. We know that often some cancers are treated with radiation. But it also comes from the sun. And it comes from cell phones. And it comes from high-voltage power lines. And it comes from all sorts of things that are normal, everyday things around us. The difference is how much of that radiation is affecting us. Um, Some of us may be a little more genetically prone for our DNA to be affected by that radiation, and some others may not. And we're still learning and they're still trying to research why is it that some people are more susceptible to radiation than others. In addition, it can be things like a virus. We know that cervical cancer, for the most part, is caused by the HPV virus. Viruses are a a unique little bug that invade our cells, and literally they inject a small strand of DNA into our cell that jams itself into our DNA code, 
hijacks our cell and then creates more viruses that are then going to go out and attach to other cells and do the same thing. So viruses directly affect the DNA by altering it, by putting their own viral DNA into our DNA. But then radiation is not that way. It simply alters it by the radioactive waves, changing the molecules and the way they align in our DNA. So there's a whole bunch of different things that can lead to and cause that alteration of DNA. If we could find the one thing, you're right, that would be the silver bullet that we could just kill it before it even starts. But unfortunately, it's so wide, it's so varied, there's so many things. All we can try and do is mitigate exposure and reduce risk other than, you know, we just can't stop the one thing because there isn't one thing. Mm. It's so many. So like you said, cancer itself is not a virus, but a virus can be the thing that, that kind of um, leads to the defects in our genes and, and then yeah. they can go on to become cancer. Now, what about the genetic mutations? I mean, I was tested many years ago for the BRCA1 and 2 gene, which I did not have. And I mean, we all, well, let me rephrase that. We all have the BRCA1 and 2 gene. The question is, is it working or is it defective? Mine, mine were working. So I didn't have that, that mutation. But I got tested again later after all these new ones were discovered, and I do test positive for two genetic mutations that are on my dad's side of the family. And many of us on my dad's side of the family have experienced the cancer that is, um, it's not, it doesn't cause cancer, it just stops it from being nipped in the bud, I guess, when those defective cells start. So can you talk about that for a minute? Just, you know, why, why, is, why does that happen and how does it not, like, I got it from my dad. My dad's never had cancer. So, um, yeah. but his brother, his sister, his mother, his niece, you know, I mean, his, his other kids, we all, we all have that gene mutation. And then I'm the one, well, there's been a couple of us that have all had cancer as a result. So, except my dad. Um, so why, what ha- what's happening there? Can you speak to that for just a minute? Sure. So that one, we're going to call a frenetic a genetic predisposition towards cancer. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it. It doesn't mean that you have it. It means that your genetic code is just a little more prone or susceptible to alteration either from virus or radiation or something else um, than the other person's might be. So if somebody doesn't have those genes, they're still potentially could get cancer, but they're not as prone for it just because their genetic code is not susceptible or as susceptible to external factors like viruses and radiation that could potentially okay. lead to those cancers. So it's, it's not an end-all, be-all, hey, these genetic codes mean you're going to get it. It just means that you're more susceptible to it. Um, okay. It's kind of like you know, having brittle bone disease. You're more susceptible to getting fractures in your legs than somebody without it. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have it. A lot depends on how you live your life. And it's the same with cancer, with those genetic markers. They're not guaranteed you're going to get it, but you're more likely to. You're more susceptible to DNA-altering things like viruses and radiation. That makes sense because, like I said, my, I got it from my dad. I, I inherited the, the gene mutations from my dad, two of them, but he's never had cancer. So for whatever reason, I guess he has been able to avoid whatever comes next, you know, and I have not. So, um all right. Well, I guess that's part of what you're trying to study and learn about is what can we do um, to try to avoid getting cancer to begin with. And I know um, you're doing that. You're also talking about future treatments. But let's start with how to how to prevent cancer because I don't want to run out of time. And I know you, we can't always prevent it. I mean, cancer doesn't discriminate. And 
you know, it's we've known healthy runners, marathon runners, eat right, live right, do everything right, and they still get cancer. But there's still yeah. some things that maybe we can do um, to, you know, kind of get past it. So why don't we speak to that through the rest of this break? And I think we have, I'm guessing, around seven, eight minutes till we get to the next break. So, and we can always pick it up on the other side when we run out of time. So let's start sure. with, um, well, you just take it from wherever you want to with, you know, okay. I'll just talk about that. So, as with any disease, prevention is far better than treatment. And so, if we can prevent something from happening, it, it, the the old saying, it's an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, you know, if we can do those things that avoid uh, the environmental things that can potentially lead to cancer, uh, we're going to save ourselves an awful lot in the long run. It may be more expensive to meet or, eat organic or, you know, eat healthy, but in the long run, it's a lot cheaper than paying for the cancer treatment. Yeah, so a lot more fun too. The two things I just mentioned. Yeah, I just mentioned eating organic and, and eating healthy. Um, and, and depending on who you talk to and how current their research is and what they're studying, eating healthy means very different things for an awful lot of people. Now, I've tried to boil it down to what I feel is the easiest thing to understand and the easiest thing to follow, and that is, if God made it, it's probably good for you. I like that. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's really simple. If it comes in a box, if it comes in a package, it's probably not something that's going to be very good for you. It, it may be good in the short term, might taste really good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy for you. So anything that comes with a label on it that as, you know, lists out all of the nutrients and the ingredients in it, not necessarily it's bad for you, but it's not going to be near as good for you as that fruit or that vegetable that you're growing in your backyard. Now, sometimes so, there, there are exceptions to that, and that is sometimes oh, yeah. food is packaged for convenience. For example, it's much easier to take a dozen eggs home with you if they're in a carton than if you have to yeah. pick each one up and put them in a bag, you know, and carry them home. So, and yogurt, things yeah. like, like yogurt is much easier to take at home if it's in a little in a little container. So, don't completely You are correct, um, and, and I, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to put a blanket statement out that all packaged foods are bad. I'm not trying to say that at all. But I am saying that uh, the closer something is to nature, the closer it is to the way God created it and made it for us, uh, the more likely it is to be healthy for us. The, the more processed something becomes, the more um, packaged and, and more things that it goes through, steps that it goes through in order to get to the end product, uh, the less likely it is to be highly beneficial for our bodies. Um, you know, they talk about when you always, shop, shop on the edges of this grocery store because that's where all the stuff is that God made, right? It's all on the edge. Yeah, exactly. I never thought of it that way, but I mean, that that's all the stuff that God made. But that is pretty much, the, for the most part, your fruits and vegetables and all those things are all around the edges of the store. So um, so that's that's kind of good good advice, too. Um, okay, carry on. Sorry. No, nope, you're good. Two no. minutes left before the break, so we're, we're good. Okay. So we'll try and, and gloss over things quickly. But So besides eating really healthy, staying active and moving, our bodies were designed to be used. They were not designed to sit in a chair at a computer for eight hours a day and then go home and sit in your recliner for two or three more hours before you go to bed and lie down for eight hours. Our bodies were designed for movement. We still need rest. We still need to sleep well at night. But they're designed to move and be active and do things. And so if you have a job that doesn't allow that, I tell all my patients who have office-type jobs, I said, I want you out of your chair at least five minutes out of every hour. 
up, moving, go to the water cooler, go to the bathroom, go talk to your neighbor in the next cubicle over, something that helps you move. A lot of um, toxins and, and, and negative chemicals can build up in our system when we're not moving. The vast majority of fluids and chemicals are cleared through our body through the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is designed to move uh, fluids from our extremities back to our core. But it can't do that if we don't move. We actually have to move in order for the lymphatic system to push that fluid back into our core where it's filtered and processed and cleaned and then put back out into our system. So and when you're talking about movement, you're not necessarily even talking about like training for a marathon. You're talking about no. just physically get up out of the chair and walk somewhere. And I, yeah. I always get a kick out of it at the Breast Friends office. We have a gal there that's been with us for many years. Her name's Diana. And she's adorable. And every time you'd get a call on the phone and it was for somebody, she instead of just hitting a button and saying, you know, Becky, line, there's a call online too, she would get up and come into my office and say, you've got a call online too. <laughs> I just, I said, why don't you just hit the button? She goes, because I need to move, you know, and I yep. always love that about her. So that, that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? It's not that we have to exactly practice it. for... Yeah. So Any that shouldn't be that hard. No yeah, that shouldn't really be that hard. It's really not that hard. We just need to look for little opportunities to get up and get moving in our lives. Um, any movement is better than no movement, and, of course, more movement is better than little movement. So whatever you can do in your life to increase your movement. And if you're somebody who's, say, wheelchair-bound, move your arms, get out and do something. Anything is better than nothing. That's great. And, you know, I, on that, let's go ahead and take our break. And, but, we, you know, we still have a, one more segment. So if there's anything else you want to add to this conversation before we move on to what future treatments are, uh, let's go ahead and do that. Because I, these are things we can do now. And I think that that is critical. And I do want to hear what's up and coming. But it's not um, right now as critical as getting up and moving out of your chair right now. And so let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back in, in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune 
tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We're talking about the future of cancer treatment as well as prevention, cancer prevention with our guest, Dr. Andrew Isaacson. And, you know, this is such great information that I really hope that if you're listening to us for the first time, that you will subscribe to our show. But even more than that, let your friends know about this episode so that they will tune in. You can always find it through our host page um, and or you, you can find us on any podcast that's out there pretty much. And find this show, listen to it, because there's some great information that he's sharing, and we would love all of our listeners to know about it. And one more thing, I do want to thank our new sponsor, um, Electa. They are the the uh, distributors of, of really outstanding radiation equipment, and they've been so supportive of Breast Friends, and we just want to thank them. Um, so going forward, you'll be hearing more about them. All right, with that, let's go ahead and bring Dr. Isaacson back on. And I know we were almost done talking about prevention, but I, I, I know there's more to say. So why don't you go ahead and, and finish up whatever is still needs to be addressed? Sure. So two, two small things I wanted to mention about the um, nutrition and movement. Both of those things are going to help our immune system become stronger, and that is our absolute best defense against cancer that catches it in early stages. Almost every one of us at some point in our life has cancer, and we may not even know it because our immune system is strong enough and quick enough that it can get it and stop it and eliminate it before we even know it was there. So having a stronger immune system is really going to help you not just in cancer fighting, but in all areas of your life, it's going to help you avoid colds and flus and, you know, the nasty bugs that go around every winter. So being uh, good nutrition and moving is really going to help boost that immune system and keep it stronger and hopefully knock out any cancers before they become problematic. In addition to that, one of the things I want to talk about is that a lot of our cancers uh, that, that happen a lot, breast cancer is a good example of this, bladder cancer, prostate cancer, those are, are usually caused by a buildup of chemicals in the tissue. And that chemical in that tissue creates an alteration in the DNA, which leads to the cancer. And most of the time, those chemical buildups can be avoided simply by using those organs. So we know that when women breastfeed, their chance of breast cancer drops dramatically. We know that um, holding your urine too long before you go to the bathroom increases the chances of bladder cancer. Oh. So you need to use the restroom more often. Don't hold it. Um, so I can stop admit, feeling I'm bad not, about that then, right? Yeah, don't feel bad. <laughs> I'm getting don't old. I just kind of do that naturally now, but I'm going to stop feeling bad about it. I am preventing cancer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because what happens is the longer it's held there, uh, the more your body concentrates all of the, the chemicals that are in the urine, and the more concentrated those chemicals are, the more likely they are to affect the tissues of the bladder itself okay. and then lead to cancer. So by purging that bladder and clearing it out as often as possible, you're reducing the buildup of that very quickly. Um, Prostate. Prostate is designed to add fluids during sexual intercourse. And if you don't use that very often, those chemicals build up and become more toxic in the prostate. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to go any further with that one, but use your prostate. (laughs) That's good. Good for you. I think we all know what that means. So I think think we're good there. Um, Let me go back to the immune question, the immune system. So... 
it's really hard to think about changing your entire diet all at once and you know, because little changes are so much easier than big changes. So, and I love the idea that if it's made by God, it's probably good to eat. And I like that. That's a simple thing to remember. But if you had to pick, let's say five foods that are super good at building your immune system that could maybe start to turn things around quickly, is there such a thing? Um, sure. We like to call them superfoods. And the easiest thing that I can tell you, and and I can get specific on actual individual foods if you want, but the easiest thing that I usually tell my patients is the darker, the richer, the more vibrant the color, the better it is for you. Okay. So blueberries are amazing. Kale is wonderful. Spinach is great. Celery is terrible. Really? Really? I love celery. It's not Bummer. bad. It's not bad for you. It's just not just The volume of it that you would have to eat to get the benefit is so high, it, nobody eats that much celery. <laughs> okay. Iceberg lettuce is the same way. There's really so little good for you in iceberg lettuce that you have to eat so much of it to get the same benefit. So the darker, the richer, the more vibrant the color, the more concentrated, good, healthy antioxidants, etc., are in there. Okay. Tomatoes. A a good vine-ripened heirloom tomato is amazing. Okay. And this is this is what I uh, people ask me all the time about supplements. Or shouldn't I be taking a multivitamin? And I'm a proponent of supplements. I think they're great. However, the best multivitamin on the planet might have what thirty or forty little things in it. One quality heirloom tomato, vine-ripened, has over ten thousand phytochemicals in it that are beneficial for you. Wow. I love them. They're so good, but they're expensive. But you're saying it's worth it. But it's worth it. Yes, it's absolutely worth it. Because no matter how good your supplement is, it's not as good as what God created. Now, there are some supplement companies out there that do a really good job, uh, and I don't endorse, I don't actively endorse any of them, um, but Juice Plus is an amazing one because they take all of the natural goodness of the fruit or the vegetable and concentrate it without eliminating or eliminating as little nutrition as possible. It's very, very well done. So there are companies out there, if you look for them, that are taking and sourcing raw ingredients that are wholesome and healthy and and concentrating them without losing much, if any, of the nutritional content. But again, easiest rule of thumb, look for something God made, look for a bright, rich, deep, vibrant color, and you're good to go. Okay. What about fruit? Can you pick out a couple of fruits for us? If, well, you said blueberries. So we have three right now, blueberries, kale, and vine-ripened heirloom tomatoes. So just in case I'm colorblind or somebody else is, give me two more. Uh, if you were going to go shopping today, buy these. Two more buy things. These. Um, so it, a lot's going to depend on when and where the fruit was picked. Okay. I'm not a proponent of buying any fruit that was picked in another country for a lot of reasons, but mainly for the fact that it has to be picked when it's still green and ripened in transit, and that ripening in Uh transit is not going to allow it to have as many nutrients as something that's ripened on the tree or on the vine or wherever. So looking for locally grown stuff is going to be huge. Uh, Red grapes are great for your system. Okay. And a lot of women will say, well, that means wine. I can have all the wine I want, right? (laughs) Well, well maybe not. answer that. What's, what's the answer? <laughs> um, a little bit of wine is absolutely good for you. But you get 
almost the same benefit from eating just regular red grapes. Okay. Better than green, then, I'm hearing. There is some benefit to green, but the red grapes have uh, resveratrol in the uh, the skin, and so that's okay. going to be better for you than just the green grapes. Okay. Again, that's well, a I, brighter, more I, vibrant, deeper, richer color. Okay. Well, I think we've gotten four foods there, but then you threw in locally grown, so we're going to look for locally grown things, too, because <laughs> for that very reason, we always hear about vine-ripened tomatoes, that they're better than the other ones that taste mm-hmm. like cardboard, and um, so that I'm going to guess vine-ripened anything is going to be better. So so let's move on um, to the next subject matter, because we only have a few minutes left in this segment. Um, what does the future hold for cancer treatment. I mean, we're, right now, the, the kind of standard is, and, and I've gone through this five times myself, and, and I've been through pretty much every form of treatment imaginable, um, but, you know, mostly it's it's always been kind of, you know, chemotherapy, which is very effective, um, radiation that targets the area that's, you know, impacted, and that's very effective, um, and then, of course, the surgery to, to cut the cancer out and try to get clean margins and all of that. That's kind of been the standard. But I'm hearing things that are coming into play. And um, I'd like to know what your research has, has shown you, you know, what is up and coming. And there's so much out there. And, you know, how do we separate the, the real hope from all the, the fake hope? So why don't you, I know it's a big subject and you only have a few more minutes, but, you know, hit it the best you can. So there's literally hundreds of different research going on, hundreds of different research projects on different potential cancer treatments out there. Um, and there are many and they're varied in their approaches. Some of the ones that, that stick up in my mind as being some of the most promising, um, there's some hyperthermic treatment that they're trying out now in different areas. Hyperthermic means that you're raising the temperature. So our bodies like to be at a nice 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, even body temperature. Um, when we get colds or flus, our body temperature can rise and can get up to around 101, 102. Uh, if we get hypothermic, and you know, we're outside too long without a jacket on or something, or we fall in freezing water, it can drop down uh, and get colder. And we know that dropping cold has some benefits and getting up high has some benefits. Our immune system actually strengthens and produces more white blood cells faster at 101 degrees than it does at 98.6. So that fever you get when you have a flu is actually helping you beat the flu. So when we take aspirin to reduce the fever, is that not good? Correct. We don't have time to go into that, but you are correct. When you take an anti-inflammatory or fever reducer when you're sick, it actually makes you sick longer. Because it's a suppressing Good to know. I, I've kind of heard grow. that, but I, I didn't know if that was fake information or if that was real. So you're saying don't, just let the fever run its course and yep. and take care of the business. That's crazy. Who, who would know? <laughs> Thank you. So, For hyperthermic cancer treatment, what they found is that if they can raise the temperature of the body in the area where the cancer is to about 115 degrees, which I know seems really hot, but if you can raise the temperature in that area to about 115 degrees, the cancer cells die. And the healthy tissue, for the most part, is left fairly well unaffected. So, you know, like a cancer in the stomach cavity somewhere, they can put uh, heat lamps and such things that would raise the temperature of the abdominal area up to 115 degrees. The cancer dies, the healthy tissue is left behind, very little side effects. So that's one. Um, They're still figuring out how to apply that heat in the most effective way, how long it needs to be applied, can we do it in, you know, in... in, um, 
multiple treatments like we do with chemotherapy or can it be done all at once? So a lot of that is still in the research phase of learning about how to do that. But hyperthermic uh, therapy is, is a, one potential one that's coming up that I'm kind of excited about. The one that I'm most excited about uh, was the research developed or started by a man named John Kanzius, K-A-N-Z-I-U-S, John Kanzius. He was a radio uh, engineer. He helped to set up radio towers and broadcast towers for radio stations. And he, in his time as a radio engineer, had discovered that certain radio waves will cause metal to melt. So literally they told him, leave your keys in your truck. Don't bring them with you up on the radio tower because there won't be keys anymore if you take them with you. And so he got cancer later on in his life and decided that he wanted a better treatment. And so they started the Kansas Cancer Research Center, uh, which finished its research in 2014 with animal studies. They were able to deliver a very small amount of metal into the tumors uh, that they found. They were able to induce tumors in rats and mice and rabbits. They were able to deliver small amounts of metal into those areas and then expose the animal to uh, radio waves, which caused that metal to heat up and melt. And just like hypothermia, it brought the temperature up high enough that it destroyed those cancer cells and left all the adjacent tissue unharmed. Oh, that's that's um, incredible. That, yeah, that research was finished in 2014. Essentially, from my understanding, was that it reached a 100% success rate with zero side effects. And so the animals were not trying... impacted all in long term. They just... Nope. Nope. That's, the metal that was left great. was able to be processed by the kidneys and excreted through the urine. Uh, so there's a well, company we, now called... We are out, we're out of time, and, and I'm so sorry. I, I really want to give you more time. I think we could do this again, but um, I, I do want to make sure I leave this, this last minute here to let people know how to reach you or what resources do you recommend for more information? Or So this is your, this is your plug... Okay. <laughs> if you'd like to reach me, you can uh, get a hold of me through email, and that email is Dr. Isaacson, D-R-I-S-A-K-S-E-N, at nwfamilychiro.net. NW is short for Northwest, so make sure it's an N and not an M, nwfamilychiro.net. Um, that's probably the best way to reach me. Uh, you can mm-hmm. check out the website, which is nwfamilychiro.net, or find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash nwfamilychiropractic. Um, those are all good ways to reach me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to be on our show today. And for all of our listeners out there, you know, Breast Friends is a nonprofit. We rely on support from the community to help um, keep our projects and our programs going, and including this radio show. And yes, we do have a wonderful sponsor, but um, we have expenses beyond that. And so I really want to encourage people. This is our 20th year as an organization. We've been doing this for a a, a very long time and somehow through trial and error we have survived 20 years and we're still growing we have many many programs and we work with patients and this program um, this radio show is global and we're reaching you know people all around the the world you know with the message that we have so if you're enjoying this and two things i really encourage you to share this this program with your friends. Tell people to listen to it because it's so worthwhile. And again, you can reach us on any um, podcast application. Also, this in 2020, this is our 20th year. And so we want to encourage you to go to breastfriends.org and make a $20 donation in, in honor of our 20th year in 2020. So big, easy number to remember. And if everyone donated $20, we wouldn't have to do a whole lot of fundraising beyond that. So really appreciate your time. And we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there's always hope and we are here to help you find it. 
Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.